The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are going to continue in the Psalms, as picking up in Psalm 62 this morning. So I'm going to read through that. You can follow along as I read Psalm 62. I'm going to pray for God's help and we'll get into what God has for us this morning. Psalm 62. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Selah. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are altogether lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. Let's pray. Father, would you quiet our hearts this morning with your love? And as we explore what it looks like to practice silence in your presence, would you help us take the next step with Jesus in whatever that looks like? And for those of us here or streaming online who don't know you, Lord, would you show them what we've seen in Jesus, his goodness, his beauty, his truth? and help them to take the next step with him. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So this morning we're going to talk about the practice of silence before God. And we're not comfortable with silence as a culture. Um, Some church experts say, don't have any more than 15 seconds of silence in a church service. Any break in conversation that we have with someone, what do we call that break? Awkward silence. We hate it. We don't like dead space on the radio. We don't like breaks between commercials. Our culture just has a low tolerance for silence. Um, And we're especially not cool with silence when we're under attack. How hard is it not to respond to that troll on Facebook? How hard is it not to respond to the trash talker on the soccer pitch. Or for you kids, how hard is it not to talk back to your brother or your sister when they're trying to get under your skin? So silence is hard, especially when we feel like we're under attack. But what if silence was God's pathway for us towards steadiness under attack? And that's what this this psalm is talking about this morning. David finds refuge from malicious attacks through practicing silence in God's presence. And the call for us this morning is receive God's powerful protection 
through the practice of silence. We're being called to receive God's powerful protection through the practice of silence. And we're going to see three movements here. The soul under attack, the soul's self-defense, and then the soul in silence. So the soul under attack. Let me read three and four for us again. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. So there's a vulnerability that King David feels here. And he feels like a tottering fence or a leaning wall. I know we have some runners up in this church, so maybe this illustration will work. But when I think of a leaning wall, I think about that Brazilian runner in the 2004 Olympics who was at the head of the pack, and he was just cooking. I think he was like 30 seconds ahead of all the other uh, racers. And this guy in a kilt comes out, a heckler, and just like pushes him. And it's such a pitiful scene. I think the Brazilian runner's last name was Delima. You see Delima, he's going along, and this heckler comes, pushes him in like slow motion. He can do nothing about it because he feels so weak. And that's kind of what David feels like here. And that's how we feel like sometimes. We're weak and we're under attack. And I want you to notice, he says, I feel like a leaning wall or a tottering fence, even though he's in a high position. So he's the king of Israel. We just read about his son, Solomon. But David was a king. He was in a high place. And I think we expect that people in uh, positions of power have a shell around them. They're immune to harsh words. They're immune to hurt. And so we're careless with our speech towards them. But no position, no amount of power can protect us from being hurt. And so just by way of a, a brief application, um, let's relate to our... Does this thing keep going lower and lower? I think it does. <laughs> no, it's good. Coach, help. <laughs> At first I was like, ah, oh, that's my perception. It's like... <laughs> it's a part of the testing process. Yeah, thank you. You're the best coach. Thanks, Jacob. I mean that in sincerity. All right. Yeah, so even though he's in a high position, he has a vulnerability there. And I think as we relate to people in power, whether it's political power or our pastors, let's, let's have a gentleness towards them because they, they feel vulnerable. And I, even today, I'm preaching out of weakness. I'm preaching on practicing silence, and I'm one of the worst guys to preach on this. Like, I can't stand silence. So let's have a gentleness, even towards our governor or towards our president. Um, as we pray for them, let's pray for them as whole human beings and not be harsh in our thoughts and our speech towards them, uh, praying for their well-being emotionally, physically, and spiritually. So David feels this vulnerability, and these people are attacking him, seeking to push him over like a leaning wall. Uh, these are bullies. They're preying on his weakness. And our culture right now seems really unhospitable to weakness. How many of you, like me, feel scared to talk about or even ask questions about politics, religion, COVID, without having someone jump down our throats, right? Like, I have some honest questions that I'm working through, race, all these things, and yet I feel like my weakness will be exposed, and I'll be pushed down and crushed in those public discussions. Um, these enemies are almost like a kid 
when they see an ant that's injured on the sidewalk and they just like their impulse is to crush it. Like they see David's weakness and they're saying, oh, there's a weak person. I just want to push him down and topple them. Before we talk more about the soul under attack, I just want to draw attention to Christ. Christ, too, is drawn towards weakness, but for a totally different reason. Jesus is drawn to weakness to mend what is broken. Christ is hospitable to the vulnerable soul. He really is gentle and lowly. Isaiah 42, 3 puts it like this. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not blow out. So Christ is totally different than these attackers. But let's, let's consider two categories of people who would attack us. So there's a spiritual level of attack, and then there's a human level of attack. So we have to know that in the invisible realms, there's Satan and his minions, and they're seeking to attack us. He's called the great accuser. And so sometimes he'll lay on us guilt or fear or shame. So if you're having a depressive season where you're just filled with thoughts of your own guilt, of how filthy you are, of shamefulness, it's likely that the enemy is attacking you and he's behind that. And he really does seek to topple us over. But then there's other people, and David had plenty of these people in his life, his life, and we do too. People who slander us. People who bless us with their words, but inwardly they're cursing us. Um, your everyday Facebook troll. People who bring up your past. Maybe an ex who just seeks to ruin your life. And, and sometimes the most painful verbal attacks that we have are from the past. They happened years ago from people who are really important to us, people who had authority in our lives. And their words, their damaging words, just bounce around in our head, and we can't get rid of them. And the effect of this is that the soul is worn down long after the words are spoken. The attacked soul just grows more and more weak and vulnerable. And so where do we go when our soul is under attack on any of these levels, spiritual or human? Where do we go for safety? I think an intuitive place for us is to go to self-defense, and that's what we're going to look at next, the soul's self-defense. But we're going to see why that doesn't lead to true safety and protection. Let me read verse 9 and 10. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no hope, vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. So David is saying, when you're under attack, don't go to riches and don't go to counterattacks for your protection. So first, there's the protection through counterattack. We want to respond with violence. So they curse me, I'm going to curse them back. They yell at me, I'm going to turn up the volume. I'm going to outpower them. You just think about that person on Facebook. You really, really want to respond and just come with a quick-witted, you know, saying to undercut them. But this only takes on the tactics of your attackers. This only jumps in and plays dirty with them and dirties your conscience. Like how many of you actually feel better in making a sharp response to someone? We get wisdom from Proverbs 15, 1, and it says, A soft answer turns away wrath, 
but a harsh word stirs up anger. So when we turn towards self-defense and we turn up the volume or become more aggressive for our attackers, that often breeds more violence, that breeds more anger. So protection through counterattack won't work. Neither will protection in riches. So you can see the temptation here. When someone's attacking you, you want to build up walls of safety around yourself. And, and it could be through extortion and robbery or through even good means when your riches increase. And you find protection in your position or your money or your status. Think about the kid whose parents told him he was good for nothing. And he spends his whole entire life trying to get rich and go to college and prove his parents wrong. This is kind of finding protection in riches. But no amount of riches, David says, will protect us from the attacker. He says, even if your riches increase, don't set your heart on them. Remember, he says, those of low and high positions are together like a breath. They're like a mist. There's no weight. There's no security there. So if security from those who attack us isn't found in self-defense, and if, if it's not found in wealth or status, where can we find it? And this is where David takes us by the hand and says, come practice silence with me. In practicing silence in God's presence, we find shelter and protection. So let's consider the soul in silence. Let me read verses 1 and 2. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. If you notice in this psalm, he says God alone several times, four or five times here. The practice of silence is a practical way that we could put our trust in God alone, not in riches or self-defense. And silence in the presence of God grows our confidence in him. If you notice in verses 5 through 8, he repeats a lot of the same things he said in verses 1 through 2, but his confidence is growing. He starts preaching to himself. He says, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. And then he even goes on in verse 8 to say, trust in him at all times, O people. So he starts inviting others to trust in Christ and find refuge in him. So silence, fundamentally, is about experiencing Christ's presence. If you've been tracking with us through the Psalms, ROG and King's Cross are on the same track in the Psalms. Over and over again, David is saying, God, you are my rock. You are my rock. That's a favorite image of David's here. And yet, what he's doing in the silence is taking this thing he believes about God, and he starts to experience and that's what we look for in silence. It's not silence for silence's sake, but we want to get before the presence of Christ and say, Christ, take what I know and apply it to my heart. Help me to experience your nearness. Help me to experience you as rock. And as you do that, as you spend more time in Christ's presence, your confidence will grow. In verse 2, he says, I shall not be greatly shaken. And then if you go down, he says, I shall not be shaken at all. So as he sits under the shadow of Christ, the rock, he grows in confidence. 
So finding silent space is super tough for us in our culture here in Manchester. I mean, I'm in Henniker, which is northwest, like 40 minutes. Um, and it's easy to find quiet spaces there. In Manchester, not so much. Uh, there's a lot of young families here. It is super tough to find quiet when you have young families. And beyond just kind of the audible noise, we have informational noise with our cell phones, our computers, TVs going on all the time. There's just a dump of information on us. So how can we find quiet spaces? I want to take a moment to just explore some examples, give you several ideas to find quiet spaces, because that's the first step in the practice of silence. You actually need to set aside space and time. So I'll give you a list here, and you could just jot down notes of what would be useful to you. So first, make use of already silent spaces. So that might be a commute to work, your time in the car, uh, on a run. You know, if you're used to running with headphones, say maybe this week I'm going to do one run without headphones, and I'm going to run in silence. Hikes, workouts, doing the dishes. I have a bad habit of always putting in my earbuds and listening to a podcast when I, like, sweep or do the dishes. Um, but just even taking one night a week to tune out the noise there. Another idea is leave your phone in another room. Whenever you do your Bible reading or your prayer, just get away from your gadgets. One thing uh, my wife and I do, so my wife Olivia, she's at home with the kids. We have three kids, five and under, and it's just super noisy. Um, and one thing we try to do is she loves going to Panera in Concord, so we'll send her away for a morning, Friday morning. It's hit or miss, but we're trying to grow in this practice, and it's super refreshing for her. And you might say, like, Panera is not very silent. Well, it for sure is silent compared to three kids under five. So that's like her quiet place. So if you have a stay-at-home spouse, a mom, find that space for her. Uh, you could take advantage of early mornings or late nights and just go with the grain of your physiology, how God has made you. If you really like morning, waking up early in the morning, just take 10 minutes, 15 minutes in the morning to put away everything and practice silence. And so these are different aspects you should consider in finding a silent space. Another is, do you prefer moving in silence or just sitting still? For me, I think clearest when I'm moving, so even walking. And what I'd like for you to do in your uh, missional groups this week is share with your missional group how you plan to take time of silence this week. And start with baby steps. So don't go from zero to 60. You'll end up discouraged. But just be thinking about how you want to add silence to your regular rhythms as you join your groups this week. Be specific and start small. All right, so that's all on finding a silent space. Um, but that's half the battle. Like once you get to your silent space, it's like, now what do I do? When I think of silent places, um, I think of the sound of silence, that song that uh, Disturbed remade. But that first line, hello darkness, my old friend. <laughs> so some of you might find a silent place and you sit down like, this is great. And then all of a sudden these internal voices start coming up and it's like, hello darkness. This is going to be a lot harder than I thought it would be. So in the silence, our greatest fears and our disappointments start to bubble up, and they get pretty loud in our heads. 
Um, I tried on the way here this morning at about 40-minute drive to say, I'm not going to listen to anything. I'm just going to meditate on this one thing. And I got so distracted. And I just came out way more anxious than when I entered the science. It's like, well, that was tough. That didn't work. So what do we do with these fears? What do we do with these voices in our heads? Maybe even the voices of people who are attacking us now. So now we're going to talk about the power of silence. If you look at verse 11, it says, Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. So if you think of silence as a road that leads us to the presence of Jesus, God's word are like the guardrails that keep us on that path. And so this this verse here just talks about once God has spoken, we know what God has spoken in his word, and yet we need to rehear what he has said over and over and over again. We need to rehearse his words to ourselves. And in my very basic understanding of the practice of silence, there's kind of two approaches. So there's silence that aims at emptying yourself, and then there's silence that ends, aims at quieting yourself so that you could be filled. So many religions practice kind of the emptying kind of silence where you just sit there and try not to think about anything. Um, and I don't even know if that's possible. Maybe there's some people who are like really practiced in the art of silence who can actually think of nothing. Um, I know that's miles away from me. But even if you're an expert at this emptying silence... Um, it bypasses our real problems. It's like, okay, I'm totally emptied. Now what? I still have these issues. I still have these people attacking me. And I think a more fruitful practice of silence is a silence that aims not at emptying, but at quieting our souls. Silence creates a quiet mind so that we can rehearse God's life-giving words. Silence is about replacing the damaging voices in our heads with God's powerful and restoring words. So like those guardrails, as we enter those times of silence, and I hope we practice this together, bring some of God's word with you to be like those railings that keep us on the path towards Christ's presence. I've, I've just picked up different um, skills from different people on this over the years. My dad, for the longest time, he would write a little verse from the morning on an index card and just stick it in his shirt pocket and have it with him throughout the day. Um, some of you can bring a little Psalter along with you. If you're waiting at the doctor's office or you're going on a long hike on the summit, you could bring God's word with you that way. I have one uh, good pastor friend who hunts three weeks out of the year. Every fall he gets like a ton of deer meat for his family. And what he does is each morning before he goes to the deer stand, he spends some time with Jesus and just takes one verse. And he's up there for hours and hours and hours, but he just has that one verse, him and God. Um, you could use a scriptural prayer. Many of us who grew up in the church, we have the Lord's Prayer at our grasp, and so we could take that often on my jogs. I'll just run with the Lord's Prayer, and that'll just keep my mind on track in Christ's presence. Another really fruitful way to practice silence in in a way to quiet our hearts, is to start your time of silence committed to be hyper-aware of what's around you. So God speaks through the scriptures. 
and he speaks through creation. Um, so if you go on a walk, just pray, God, help me to be attentive to the, the song, the bird song. Help me to be attentive to the smell, to the sights that I'm seeing. And these are all restorative paths towards silence. And here, David particularly focuses on two things, God's power and God's love. If you ver- look at verse 11 and 12, he says, Twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. And so David, in his quiet place, he's meditating on these two things. God is powerful. The people who are attacking me, they're light, they're like a vapor, but God is weighty. He is true power. And more than that, God, this all-powerful God, is all-loving towards me in Jesus. He shows his love for me at the cross. And what greater comfort could we ask for than knowing that God is for us and with us? And so this is the real power of silence. The power of silence is quieting our noisy souls to actually behold the God who is with us in Christ. If you look to 1 Peter chapter 2, we see Christ in silence when he was suffering. 1 Peter 2 says, when you do good, or this 1 Peter 2.20 if you want to look there, now or later, 1 Peter 2.20, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And this is the result of that. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So remember when Christ was being arrested and called a criminal falsely, Peter, one of his followers, took out his sword and tried to defend Jesus. And Jesus said, hold up, Peter. If I wanted to right now, I could call on legions, thousands and thousands of angel, angels and angel armies to defend me. But we have to fulfill what the Father has planned. And so if you think about it, if Christ spoke up, In that moment, if he went to self-defense, we would not be here worshiping him at this moment. But it's because Christ entrusted himself under attack. He entrusted his vulnerable soul to the Father that we can be saved. And the fruit of it is beautiful. He bore our sins on the tree. And by his wounds, we have been healed. And so in Christ's silence, we find true salvation. And he found salvation too. The Father vindicated him and resurrected him to eternal life. But Peter also talks about Christ being our example. Christ is our example under attack. 1 Peter 2.23 says, He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. A question that's coming up a lot um, in churches and just even on a national discussion is, in this divided age, who can bring healing? 
Like more than ever, I feel it in, in churches, in Christian circles, and in neighborhoods in this world that there is a great divide. What can bring healing? And I think this is part of the answer to that complex question. More Christians following the example of Christ, not backbiting, not attacking and devouring one another when they're attacked, but quieting their souls before God and entrusting themselves to God. What we need is less reactionary souls and more rested souls, people who are resting in the presence of Christ. And just imagine, use your imagination to think, what would that look like in churches? What kind of healing would that bring? What kind of healing would that bring in neighborhoods? When you're talking about all the hot-button issues today, and instead of being reactionary, just listening and entrusting yourself to a good God who cares for you, who's all-powerful and all-loving. And so Christ's silence and suffering brought on healing of body and soul. And in a little way, we imitate that. We're called to be ministers of Christ, to bring healing to this world. And so let's receive God's powerful protection through the practice of silence. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.